Hey, Donnie here. I wanted to tell you about Champions 90. Champions 90 isn't a workout routine or a fitness routine. This is about you transforming your life mentally, giving yourself an upgrade while you build to business freedom. Champions 90 is about you getting quiet with your thoughts, staying focused on building your business and getting you to freedom. Come join the challenge at champions90.com. All right, champions, strap it in. This is going to be a fun one. So I got to tell you guys, this is the first for me. I read a lot of books. You guys know it. I talk about all kinds of books out there, but I have never read a book and then turn around, jumped on Instagram, go find a fucking author and reach out to his ass and say, dude, you got to get on this show so we can tell your story. So I'm pretty stoked about this. This is a badass story with a badass background. So we're going to talk a little bit about his prison life. We're going to talk about life after that. We're going to talk about him trying to be Tony Robbins and change the world and shit. I'm sure we're going to talk about fitness and work-life balance and shit. So y'all strap it in because this is going to be a lot of fun. So Sean, welcome to the show, my friend. Please tell us your story. Yeah, thank you for having me, Donnie. I'm grateful to be here, man. Excited to, to chat with you and to dive into this. So, you know, as, I, as you know, I wrote a book recently talking about my experience being incarcerated because of the way it impacted me, man. And I felt compelled that I had to share this message and reach as many people who might feel stuck or lost or just not living the lives that they want right now, because that was me when I was 23. So I'm going to start from the beginning briefly. Uh, I grew up in a beautiful part of the world, Santa Barbara, California, beaches, a um, lot of, you know, money and opportunities here, smaller town though, not like LA or Southern California. And it's awesome. I had a lot of family and friends growing up. I was at the beach surfing, love sport. I wanted to be a pro baseball player. Every day I obsessed over, you know, being a pro baseball player. That's what my life revolved around. Um, I didn't realize what was going on in my household. My parents were battling addiction from an early age, my whole life. And I had a lot of aunts and uncles around me. So I was sheltered, you know, by their love and trying to, to help me out, my siblings out. But at the age of 14, you know, my dad went to prison. My mom, her addiction got the best of her. Suddenly I felt alone. And at such an impressionable age, I mean, I'm a freshman in high school. Uh, I didn't even know who I was as a young man yet, right? I'm still trying to forge my own identity. And I, I completely went the opposite direction. I stopped playing sports, stopped hanging out with my, my old friends, stopped going home, stopped going to school. I started numbing myself and using drugs and alcohol as a way to escape because I couldn't accept the reality of what my life had become. Uh, there was so much pain, man, so much pain. I mean every day just thinking like, why is this happening to me? Why has my life become, you know, so horrible? And I just couldn't, I couldn't cope with that. So from 14 into 23, I was just adrift, just aimlessly going through life, no direction, no purpose. Um, I, I had no like passion or I was, I had no vision of who I wanted to be or what I wanted to do with my life. And I really, I changed. I, I didn't know who I was at that point. I had created this new person to, like keep a shield and a wall up mm -hmm. from people seeing what I was really going through. So I would get in trouble at school or getting fights out at parties or, you know, I'd be drinking and I was just lost. Uh, and so that led me to really doing nothing throughout my adolescence. After high school, I had a girlfriend and I had a good job and I was holding it together, you know, from the outside looking in, Sean has a good life. It's a, you know, a decent life. He makes money, spends time with his girlfriend but inside, I was still just destroyed. I hadn't dealt with the pain and the trauma. Um, so when her and I split up, I used that as an excuse to go back into my old ways. And I was out partying all the time and chasing girls and just lost again, you know, um, in a fast downward spiral. And I went to a party in Santa Barbara and I didn't really know anybody there. I knew a girl and a friend that I showed up at the party with. Now, that girl was hanging out with a group of guys that I'd seen before. You know, Santa Barbara was a small town. So we start talking and it's a normal night, man. We're socializing, uh, we're hanging out. And uh, at some point they got into an altercation with a group of guys that were there that I had never seen before. To this day, I, could tell, I couldn't tell you what they looked like. Don't know their names, know nothing about them. Um, and that died down. So we go back to socializing, drinking. Uh, about a couple hours later, we're getting ready to leave and we go outside and we're going our separate ways. Me and my friend that showed up at the party, we're going somewhere else. Now, now the other group follows us out. So 
there's an altercation on the front lawn. Um, they're face to face. Things are going to happen. You could tell there's going to be a fight. I don't know if anyone listening has ever been to a high school or college party, but typically at the end of the night, when you know we've had too much to drink, there's a wrestling match or somebody gets into a fight. It's not uncommon, at least not the way I grew up. Nope. So I didn't think anything of it. I thought, okay, there's going to be some punches thrown. And now I'm on guard though. You know, I'm on guard. There's a lot of people out front and the fight breaks out and it's just like a melee. You know, there's people flying every which way. It's pretty crazy. And I'm standing there and there's this guy right across from me and he starts coming towards me. So I'm like, okay, this guy's going to attack me. Like he thinks I'm, you know, on this side, obviously. And as soon as he takes two steps towards me, I get blindsided. You know, I get tackled from what I think is a group of people that are focused on me. They're zeroing in on me. They're going to jump me. Like, that's what I've seen happen before. And it's not uncommon. So I'm bear hugging someone as I'm getting pushed back by this big group of people. And we get slammed into a car and slammed to the ground. And I was pretty shook by that, you know, that altercation. And there's somebody on top of me, man. And I'm bear hugging him, trying to get him off me. And I couldn't. So I'm trying to roll around, get him off me. And I, I assume these guys are going to start kicking and punching me any second. I'm like, great. What did I get myself into, you know? And he wouldn't get off of me. And then finally, you know, nothing happened. I'm like, okay, this is weird. No one's hit me. Um, and I roll over. And as I roll over, my, my initial thought is I'm going to hit this guy before he hits me. Like he's going to probably get up swinging on me. He tackled me. Of course he's going to. And I punched him twice. The punches like grazed his head. They didn't even hit him flush as we're getting up and he stayed face down on the ground as I'm standing up and I thought that was really weird like split second thought that's weird I didn't hit him I'm did I knock him out I mean I don't think I hit him that hard what happened this is happening second to second so then I hear Sean let's go let's go and my friend who I went to the party with is in the street yelling my name so I turned to start walking towards him and it was like slow motion my back and my leg were so messed up from getting slammed to that car I had a pinched nerve or something. I couldn't walk really. I couldn't run. I could barely walk. So I'm like walking slow motion, man. I, I still remember it to this day. And I get to him under the street lamp. And he just looks at me with like horror in his eyes. It's like, man, you're covered in blood. What the hell, Sean? And dripping off of my face, all over my shirt, my arms, I'm just drenched in blood. I mean, covered in blood, not just from a bloody nose, like someone's, their entire, you know, insides or their blood is all over me. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe, you know, what was going on. And that literally was one second. The next second, he's up the street running, saying, let's go, let's go. And there's people scattering. So I start following him. You know, I hear sirens coming. There was this big fight. You know, I'm not going to be just standing there. Um, and in the past, that's what happens. You go out and the cops come to a party and everyone scatters. It was just a reaction. I didn't even have a, a split second to try to process what had just happened. So we get up the street and we go into a laundromat. There's a laundromat off the street. He's waving me in. He's like 25 yards ahead of me. And he pulls out an old shirt from the dryer. There's like one shirt stuck in the back, you know? Um, and he says, get that off, dude. You're covered in blood. You can't walk around like that. He throws me some shirt and I put it on. And um, he had called a cab somehow. So there was like a cab waiting up the street. I don't know how he got there so fast. He must've called them before the fight, you know? Um, and we walk over to the cab as cops are racing down the street. You know, we're in this laundromat. I see the sirens. I see the cops racing to the party. And we get in the car and we leave. And we got to his house that night. And, you know, we were both so altered from drinking and all the, the drugs we were putting in our body that we didn't, we didn't really talk about what happened. Like, we were in shock, you know. So I wake up the next morning. And it was like waking up from a nightmare that you're still in. Like, wait, that really happened? Like, what, what's going on here? And I Googled it and it said two people were stabbed in that fight and my heart just dropped. You know, I knew something like that happened, um, but I realized now this is a whole different predicament that I found myself in. And I knew that the cops were going to come looking for me. I thought that they were going to come and question me about who was fighting, you know, what did you see and try to put the pieces together. So I was prepared for it. So the SWAT team comes, they have the dogs, they got M16s on me. I mean, it's crazy. And I find out when they take me to the police station that they're charging me with attempted murder. And they think I'm the one that stabbed this guy because I was seen by people at the party wrestling with him. I have his blood on my shirt. Like it looked horrible. So that, that was when I was 23 and I was charged with attempted murder facing life in prison at this point. Dude, I, I, 
you know, I've been in a few scraps myself growing up being a former Marine through high school, you know, and the likes and the chaos that can ensue and all when, you know, you got 10, 20 guys all swinging on each other, you know, bodies getting wrestled around and everything else, you know, we all know you sometimes you're going to end up hitting your own buddy because you're just, you know, raging, you know, as you go through it, and you have no idea who's all going to get hit. And, and you just hope that you never get singled off, you know, like you're talking about. So, um, man, I, I just, I mean, I, I, I get the blood and all that, the shock of that, but the realization that they're coming after your ass and they're charging you with attempted, you know, murder at that point, I can't help to think that my soul would have been crushed, you know, instantly realizing that I'm in a fuck ton more trouble than I'm actually thought I was going to be in. I, I know it's almost impossible to describe that moment, but what was going through your head when they said that? Yeah, man, like you said, just, just crushed and devastated. You know, I think when it, it really hit me when I got booked into county jail, um, even then though, I was naive. I thought, okay, they're trying to pressure me. They're trying to get something out of me. They're going to drop these charges and I'm going to get out of here. Like you see that happen often in these scenarios that when I really was just overcome with shock, um, was my first day in court. And I remember I, I went in there and the news press is there trying to get pictures of me. It's like pandemonium inside the courtroom. And my lawyer comes up to me, no expression on her face, no like, you know, ask me how I'm doing or anything like that. She says, hey, you know, the DA and the judge are up there, they're talking about amending your charges to homicide because the, brick, uh, the victim's brain dead. They don't think he's going to make it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, I couldn't even process that. I couldn't even understand what was happening if it, it, it was so surreal it felt like i had been in a nightmare that i was just trying to wake up from and every day i woke up in jail and i'm not waking up from my dream man i'm stuck right. in this nightmare you know uh it was it was surreal i couldn't even like believe that it was happening to me in the midst of it all early on right and so i don't want to take away from the book guys but you need to go read his book um and listen to the time he spent in county how long he spent in county that's what just fucking mind-numbing for me um you know and then and then what ensued afterwards so so you end up with a couple different prisons i'm trying to remember um but you get transferred around you end up going to prison getting transferred around a little bit but somewhere in that stunt you found was it toastmasters or or some sort of self-help get yourself right classes or something along those way how did that happen yeah so early on when i was incarcerated you know you're you're put into different prisons depending on the the charge that you have uh your behavior like are you getting in trouble a lot what are your points right they give you more points for the more trouble you get in so like level four is people that are doing life and never going home you don't want to go to those prisons level three pretty similar now, once you get to level two, they have a lot more rehabilitative programs. Usually those are for guys who have short sentences or who have been in prison for a while. They've, they've been good. They got their points down. And now they're trying to prepare them to get out into society. So when I got to level two, um, there was a lot more resources at, at my disposal to better myself. Now, I had been in prison already for years doing everything I could every day to improve my life. So... I was already under that mindset. You know, I'd already transformed so much about the way I lived, the way I thought, everything about me. Um, well, one of the things but, you say, you know, I think you were in county when you say that, that, you know, that much time alone, you can't help but get caught up in your own thoughts, your own head, and you, and you got nothing to do but think, you know, which is, is just fascinating, which is, you know, a huge play a lot in, you know, getting to know yourself and actually trying to do something right with yourself is spending enough time alone in your own damn thoughts. So um, fascinating. Uh, so, all right, continue on, continue on. Yeah. Let me touch on that real quick. Cause that's interesting. You said that like even people out here who, who meditate, who really prioritize their self care and they, they get a lot of alone time. They're off the screens every day. Imagine doing that 24 hours a day for years. Right. So like, there's this whole part of ourselves that we don't even connect with that we don't even really know and identify with. It, it was a profound experience to say the least. And like well, you, you know, said, I go. Yeah. What's interesting for me about that is I didn't really do any of that stuff. No meditation, no thoughts, no anything until I launched a business. Um, and, and even, even though no comparison to going to prison, um, but 
and I know you're running your own business now, but you know, running a business, there's, there's no excuses, right? You know, if, if your sales are down, if your numbers are down, if your business isn't going well, that's all on you. There's, there's nobody else to blame, but you. And I, I know for me, it was fascinating that I had, nobody tells you that when you launch a business, you're going to meet yourself real damn quick. Uh, because you're going to get stacked up against it. So, so for me, that was a, the fascinating moment of going through the trials of building a business to spend a lot of time in my own personal thoughts. And uh, I'm curious, as you were spending so much time alone, because I know for me, I didn't necessarily like the guy that I found. You know, as as I'm spending a moment trying to get to know who the fuck I am, you know, is it the same thing for you? You're like, fuck this is not the guy I'm supposed to be. Was it profound for you in that way? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Cause that's so important. So I was living alive for 10 years, man. I was putting on this mask in this front. <laughs> that wasn't who I was. And I was like unconsciously looking for a way to get away from that fucking guy. You know what I mean? Like yep. I didn't like him. Yep. I'm not a violent person. But I would go around and start arguments at school with people or like at a party and like act like an idiot. You know, I'm a compassionate person. I love people. I'm a family man. Um, I didn't play sports. I'm athletic. I love physical exercise, challenging endurance like type stuff. And I didn't do any of that. You know, all the stuff that I am, I wasn't showing the world. So I did not like that. I felt like I had shortchanged myself and anyone I knew when I found myself in that cell, I was ashamed, embarrassed, and I had so much remorse and regret for not being my authentic self and not pursuing what I wanted in life. Well, now, I think a lot of people, though, can relate to that because, I mean, I, dude, I mean, that was my story. I spent 20 years working for other people and work Donnie was one version. Home Donnie was another version, right? Because I didn't want people to hang out with the country boy who wore T-shirts and ball caps, you know, you know, you know, corporate America Donnie with suits and ties and, you know, you know freaking the right lifestyle and i and i love that you said it early on um that it was some form of escapism because i think that's what a lot of us do although one may argue you went to extremes on escapism but uh uh you know we i think we all are finding some sort of outlet because we're not living up to our own standards and some form of sense of that now we're looking for ways to as you said, numb that shit. So, so we don't have to look at ourselves in the mirror. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Exactly. Whether it's putting drugs and alcohol into your body, um, people use food to escape people like, you know, all this different stuff that we used to check out TV, social media. Um, what I was forced to do, I, I was faced with the truth. When I found myself in that cell, I couldn't run and escape. I was in a cell where I could touch both walls simultaneously. There was no room to escape. I couldn't go anywhere. And this was the best thing that ever happened to me because my whole life I was in denial, running from my problems, you know, not willing to talk about them or acknowledge them. And that was just harming me. It was just holding me back and I was stuck. Now I'm in this jail cell and my whole world's just crumbling down, right? But what happened is I started to see the truth. And instead of running from it, I just faced it and just tried to learn from it. And I, every night, every day, I was just processing what was going on. I was going back into my past and unraveling all these old memories. And I was just, I couldn't believe that I'd wasted my life. I was thinking, why did you do this, man? Why did you let this happen? And it was eaten away at me. It was eaten away at me. But I saw that truth. And that was what I needed to experience to change, to take control of my life for the first time in, you know, a decade. Because prior to that, I wasn't in control. I was a victim reacting, reacting to my circumstances, blaming people, blaming my parents, but when I did that, I gave up my control to make a change that would actually serve me in the long run. Yeah, dude, well said. Um, and and I, I think once somebody realizes that they've been playing victim, once they own that, that they've been blaming the world for their own fuck-ups, their own choices, once you come to that realization, man, life gets real fun afterwards. But, but sometimes you got to go to a dark fucking place. I mean, I almost lost my whole farm. I almost lost everything um, because I, I, I was trying to figure out how to run a business, but I was in that, that do I show up as me or do I show up what they expect me to be? And dude, once all those people met, you know, became one, you know, life, life, I won't say it got easy. Cause God knows, I don't think it ever gets easy, but it, but it got a little simpler, you know, uh, along the way. So 
now you're in level two and you end up in all of these forward thinking rehab. And I didn't even know they had this shit in prison. You know, my only experience is I spoke at an all women's federal prison here in Fort Worth. Um, and I went down and toured Huntsville. Uh, and so that, that's, that's my extent, it will accept for Shawshank Redemption. You know, I mean, I feel like I could survive prison now because of Shawshank. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm <laughs> totally kidding. Um, you know, but, but so now you're in level two and it's cool that they have all these programs. I got to admit that as I read your book and you were talking about all the different things you guys were doing, I'm like fucking good on them because that's the kind of shit that needs to be in there. But I also love that you said in there you were talking about some of the guys just didn't really want to do that we're just doing it to get out of their cell or whatever else so so what made you really decide to get into those programs yeah well i mean before i even went to prison the mindset i had was i'm going to do anything every day to better myself whatever it is it didn't matter if i was cleaning my cell floor with a a towel to keep your cell clean because we're all about hygiene in there doing push-ups whatever it was looking up words in my little dictionary, everything I did had to be to the best of my ability. This is the mentality I was cultivating. So this is who I was by the time I got to that level two and I'm seeing they have Alcoholics Anonymous, they have Toastmasters, they have you know a drug and rehabilitative program, like all this stuff. Naturally, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go into it with an open mind and see what I can take out of this. And that's what I did. Um, you know, I had already been taking college courses. They offered those in some of the prisons. I got fortunate to get to do that and get college degrees while I was incarcerated. So um, the, the courses that I liked the most, um, not the college courses, but the self-help was Toastmasters because I had been put in a drug and alcohol program previously. And I, I did good in it. I was already committed to being sober for the rest of my life. I had four years of sobriety by this point. I had to, it was life or death of my eyes. Um, and then I did well in there and the counselors asked me, hey, Sean, can you stay on as an inmate counselor and or a facilitator, they called it, to kind of be a positive role model for other inmates and to help out? Uh, I said, yes, you know, I'll do that. I want to be a positive influence on people. But that required speaking in front of the community, which is like 100 guys. So imagine getting up behind a podium, never spoken publicly before, and you're just staring out at all these angry faces that don't want to be there. These guys have tattoos on their faces. They're they're upset. A lot of them are doing decades in prison. Most of them don't want to hear what the hell I have to say. Right. So I took that as a challenge because number one, I was nervous. My face got red my voice was, you know, going up and down. I couldn't compose myself. And um, I looked at it as the ultimate challenge. Like I'm going to master the art of public speaking. I'm going to convey my message in a way where these guys will maybe not just receive it openly, but it'll help them. Like they'll plant that seed somewhere for a later use. So that's when I, uh, I got involved in Toastmasters. I said, okay, this is putting me out of my comfort zone. This is pretty cool. I get to do this while I'm incarcerated. Like I was always looking for ways to challenge myself and that gave me the opportunity to do that. I, I'm just curious now that you've done Toastmasters, you got out and you're doing all the stuff you're doing now. Are you still doing Toastmasters? I haven't done it since I've been out. Uh, I've been invited a couple of times, to be honest with you. It's just been conflicting with, like my schedule and um, it's been tough, especially, especially since COVID, but I am getting into public speaking actually. Well, you know, you know, coming up and stuff like that. Not the bust on Toastmasters, but you got what you needed out of them. You know, and the only reason I said yeah. it is, is the beginning portion of Toastmasters is the good stuff. Once you get back and they're trying like competitive speak and all that Toastmasters loses all its value for me, but the mere fact that they can teach you how to get up on stage and everything freaking brilliant. I love that aspect of them. So exactly. So. So you get out of prison, you've done all this rehab stuff, and now you're this fitness guru, healthy lifestyle, something or other, uh, uh, out of California. Walk us through that a little bit, then I'm going to start busting your chops about work-life balance and shit. Yeah. Let me tell you how I became a fitness guru. I'm not a fitness guru. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you how I became a Those were my words. Fair enough. Those, those were my words. I know. Words. I know. Um, well, just so you know, I'm running hundred miles in Zion in April. So I do like to push my body physically. I like to challenge my mind. Um, I love that stuff. That's why I do it. Not so I can look in the mirror and take selfies, but <laughs> so I get out of prison and now I'm staying in a, a trailer, right? I'm on aunt and uncle's property. Um, and I'm like, okay, what the hell am I going to do, man? Uh, I have $200 in my pocket, no car, nothing. 
and I got to rebuild my life, you know, and I knew what I wanted to do. I had a message. I wanted to impact people's lives. I wanted to, to work with people, you know, and I was still trying to figure out, well, how am I going to do that? Like in what capacity? I was thinking about going back to school and getting a master's degree and working with uh, adolescents as like a counselor or a therapist. Um, and then, you know, an old friend reached out to me. He was doing personal training at a gym in Santa Barbara. Um, I had been staying at a county south of here when I got out. So I was an hour away. And he uh, said, hey, if you get certified, you know, I have clients. I could help you start, you know, working as a personal trainer if that's what you want to do. I've been following you on Instagram, whatever. I see you're in good shape. And after talking to you, you seem like you know your stuff. So I, I saw that as an opportunity for me. Like, I just need that one step in the right direction. And this is it. And I got excited. So I got certified, did that really quickly. I've been studying anatomy, physiology, all the stuff related to sports medicine while I was in prison. I got books and everything sent in. So the course, you have up to six months to complete it. I did it in two weeks, all the essays, everything. I was done. I, I was ready. Um, and now I'm certified. So what happened is I actually broke my um, scapula snowboarding. And I couldn't work or do anything. I had the certification, like, you know, what everything was just being thrown at me, all this adversity, because I was doing part-time work to put money in my pocket. Now I couldn't work. I'm in a sling. Um, and then, you know, we had all these fires come through California and burn down all kinds of properties and uh, almost burned my uncle's home down. So we were displaced. We were in an Airbnb. And then two weeks later after the fires, it rained for a week straight and you know the fire burned down all the the um bushes and trees so mm. the, there's no debris right or there's no um you know landscape so there was these huge mudslides and in santa barbara people actually lost their lives and those mm. casualties and the freeway was shut down so now i had a certification but i couldn't get to santa barbara to work because the, the freeways were shut down and i had a broken shoulder so i couldn't work and make money i'm like dude this isn't how it was supposed to go. You know, I had a vision. What, what's going on here? And um, I had to figure out a way to get to Santa Barbara. I couldn't stay where I was anymore. I had to just go. And uh, so I called up an old friend. He just happened to fly planes. I knew that. He had actually taken me flying two weeks after I got out over the Pacific Ocean as his way of welcoming me back, welcoming me back. So I called him. I said, hey, man, you know, like, you're still flying. What's going on with these mudslides? How are people getting into Santa Barbara? He said, wow, actually, I'm coming down to where you're at on Monday to that county to pick up my boss. He works at a major hotel in Santa Barbara. He runs it, but he can't get into Santa Barbara. So I'm getting paid to go fly him in and my little single engine Cessna. I said, let me ride with you. I need to get into there. He said, meet me at the airport at 7 a.m. on Monday and you can jump in with us. So I did. I packed up all my bags. I had a big duffel bag, like something out of a movie. I had a, yeah. a duffel bag and um, like $700 in my pocket or a thousand bucks. And I left. And so we're flying into Santa Barbara and I'm telling him about my plan to go to the gym and get that job. And I'm just going for it. And he, so, he says, where are you going to stay, man? How are you going to get around? I said, I don't have anywhere to stay. I'm going to figure it out when I get there. He's like, my dad rents out rooms. He actually has a room available. You should contact him when we get into town. Uh, he's all, he goes, actually, I'll take you over there after we go to the gym. He was driving me. So we did. I went to the gym. I met the owner. He said, OK, Sean, we're going to give you a shot. You start tomorrow at 5 a.m. Um, you know, don't disappoint me. He knew about my background, but he went out right. on a limb for me. Uh, and then we drove to meet his dad. And his dad, you know, was cool. He gave me that room. I gave him all my money to secure that room for the month. And now I had a place to stay. And then um, I tracked down my uncle's mechanic who sold old and used cars. And he had this old beat up Honda Civic rear end completely smashed in. It was the ugliest car <laughs> that you'd ever seen, man. Like, so embarrassing. You know, you want to wear like a big hat or something when you're driving <laughs> around. I didn't care though. I got that car and paid them later. And now within that 24 hour period, I had <clears throat> a new job and a career I wanted to be in, uh, a place to stay and a vehicle. And that was my start in being an entrepreneur. So I was really excited. That's pretty cool, man. Uh, tell me you got pictures of that car though. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I do. I should. I, I hope I do because that thing was ugly man i should i should post that on yeah you Instagram should because that, that's you know? that's a part of the story i mean it's one thing to hear it's a whole other thing to see it and guys if you aren't watching his instagram if you can tolerate him with all the the shirtless pics you know he does have some cool pictures of his family and everything else on there it's pretty good stuff to watch um you know all the way through there so 
now you're combining kind of the self-help game, the fitness game with everything else. And you're just helping people get just a hell of a lot better in life, get healthier, um, make some of the mental shifts that you've made, you know, but, um, and I know some people are going to listen to this and go, man, I fucker got lucky getting the, the room, the car, but I, I, I'm a true believer that once you get your mind set in the right direction, that you're going to do something, the universe fucking shows up. You know, and they're like, uh, what is it? It's on a um, fucking The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. And his son and him are walking down the road. And the son goes, Dad, can I tell you a joke? And Will's like, okay, tell me a joke. He goes, well, this, this boat, it, you know, sinks in the middle of the ocean. And this guy lands up in the ocean. And a, a boat comes by and goes, hey, can we, you know, we help you out? And he goes, no, God will take care of me. Uh, freaking next thing you know, a bigger boat comes by and they go, Hey, can we pick you up? He goes, no, no, no. God will take care. I mean, he's in the middle of this big ass ocean. And then, you know, like a water plane comes by and says, can we pick you up? He's like, no, no, no. God will take care of me. And like three and four, three more things come by to pick this guy up. And he's like, no, no, no. God will take care of me. And next thing you know, he freaking drowns. He gets to the pearly gates and he looks at God and goes, why the fuck didn't you help me out? And God's like, what are you talking about? I sent you like three boats and a biplane and everything else. You big dummy. You should have took the advice. And what, my point of that is, is you've set your goal, your mindset. Hey, we're going to get here. We're going to do this. I'm going to be this freaking, you know, uh, health coach, this, you know, uh, trainer, all that stuff. Um, and then said yes to the opportunities and put in front of you. I mean, because some people looked at that clunker ass car and be like, yeah, I'm not getting caught dead in that thing. You know, um, I'm curious, have you, if you hadn't gone to prison, would you have said yes to that car, that opportunity and try to go through it? Or did you have to go through prison to be able to say yes to all that? Yeah. If I didn't go to prison, I would have never left my uncle's property. I had a nice job. I could have, you know, went into that industry and had, I had a secure future. I had a, a job. I had a secure future. It was me. It was a, a life of mediocrity, and I would have settled for that in the past. And I would have got to the end of my life and been like, "What did I do? Why did I settle for that easy route?" So no, I wouldn't have. But coming home from prison, I was hungry, man. I knew what I wanted, and I wasn't going to be stopped. So yeah, things fell into alignment for me. But I had to get my ass up out of that trailer and, and stop saying "poor me" with my broken shoulder and find a way to Santa Barbara. You know, I had to to go and talk to the owner of the gym and be honest with him about where I just come from. And all of those pieces lined up, right? I had to go find the place to live. I had to go reach out to my uncle's mechanic. I, I had to make it happen. So um, I never would have done that. And that's why before prison, I was unhappy. I was stuck. I wasn't living the life I wanted because fear, doubt, all these excuses were holding me back. So this is a question I love asking people that have gone through some sort of transformation, but they've gone through some really shitty things to get to the transformation. Do you think people have to get to a really dark fucking place before they can choose to really take on life? No, absolutely. I don't. I think that sometimes that's what really wakes people up though, because we have it really good. You know, we're comfortable. Not everyone. People struggle. I know that, but is it enough to wake you up and make you realize like, man, this is my one fucking shot to live my life the way I want. A lot of times it's not. And that's, that's why I'm on this mission to reach people who are going to get to the end of their life and experience the regret that I experienced in my jail cell. And it's going to, it's going to destroy them, you know, and I don't want people to experience that. I don't want them to feel that. Um, and I love the fact that you say regret because it drives me nuts when people say they have no regrets. I have shit. I regret all the time. I did stupid shit in my life. I wish I wouldn't have done. I can't take that shit back. You know, I can own well, it. Can, can I touch on that? So please, please bring it, bring it, bring it. The word ignorant, right? Just means not knowing. Like when you're ignorant, people think that means you're stupid. No, you just don't know. You're unaware. Right. So people are ignorant to the fact that when they get to the end of their life, they don't know what they're going to feel. They haven't been there. Yeah, true. Right now you say, you know, you don't have regrets, but I promise you, I promise you when you're 80 years old and you realize you're going to die, right? You're about to die. You're going to think of all the small shit that you watch past you by day to day. Mm. You're going to think about the most trivial things that right now you can't even recognize and wish you would have appreciated them more. It's, it's beyond our ability to understand it in this moment. And that's what people fail to realize. Like, no, I'll have no regrets, man. 
I'm living my life to the fullest every day. I'm giving my all, but I'm probably gonna have regrets too, even with my perspective and the stuff I've went through. Because we don't we don't know yet. We don't yep. know. We haven't been. No, there, so. I I hundred percent agree with that because it, it and you said it. It's the little things right? That, that you don't mean to take for granted, but you do because it's there every day. It's, it, I mean, it goes back to like, and, and, you know, unfortunately you, you lose someone and they pass away, right? As soon as that happens, you start thinking, fuck, I should have done this. I should have done that. And, and you could be spending every day with them, telling them how much you love them every day and everything else. But there's still that, that moment of time when they're gone that, you know, you can't get, there's no take backs at that point. You know, so, so it's fascinating. So what all are you doing now? Um, are, is it straight up the fitness thing? Is it, you know, I know you're doing speaking, you know, yada, 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 but w- what is it you're actually doing? Yeah. So right now I'm, I call it life coaching. I know people don't like that word, but I don't care. That's what I do. I work predominantly with men who are 40, 45 years old, who are business owners or entrepreneurs and they have children, they're married and they're trying to find what you, what you described earlier is the work, um, life balance, right? Where how the hell do we take care of ourselves consistently? Um, how do we continue to grow our business and be successful? And how do we give our family the time they deserve? So what happened as I was doing the fitness stuff and last year when COVID hit and it shut everything down, I had to sit there and reflect. And I was honest with myself. I said, okay, all your income's gone. How are you going to help people? What are you going to do? I was just starting to work with people online and I had an online platform, but it hadn't really taken off because I was still doing a lot of in-person training. And I just realized in that moment, man, you've been holding back. You're not just a fitness coach. Like you just went to prison. You learned a lot of things that have helped you massively transform your life. You're not sharing this stuff with people. You know, you're talking about weight loss and bullshit. Like I get that, but that's not what people really are after, man. And so I just went all into being the coach in person I knew I could be. And the last year was amazing. I mean, I've had, you know, a lot of uh, great people come into my program and excel And, you know, that's when I started seeing this common challenge that men are facing, busy, successful men, and that's they're depleting themselves in order to increase revenue or grow their business and turn their dream into reality. And I get it, but is it possible to do it all? Can you be the best dad, the best CEO, and the best version of you simultaneously? And that's- The answer to that is yes. Is there a work-life balance? Absolutely not. Let me explain. I knew we were going to get in this debate because I've been just following your stuff. Yeah. so here's what I know running my own business. Um, I run five businesses. I also have a full working farm, right? Goats, chickens, ducks, the whole nine yards, right? Out here. And I've got to maintain all of it. At no point am I ever going to stop thinking about the business, right? I can be sitting there having an amazing conversation with my wife and have a light bulb moment of something I can do with the business, doesn't mean I'm going to run off and do that thing for the business, but it's damn sure going to get a mental note. So what I tell people is I don't want work-life balance. I don't want to turn off the business and you shouldn't turn off the business either. If you're running a legitimate business, enjoy it. Be in the moment. Know that I'm in a conversation with my wife and be there, right? But people, I think, get themselves into this mental stress ball of shit because they're guilty about being in a little league baseball game and they're thinking about their business. Of course, you're thinking about your fucking business. It's your damn livelihood. And that, so that's where I go after this whole work-life balance thing is people are like, well, I need to spend more time with my family and I need a new business. Fuck all. Quit putting so much pressure on yourself and literally enjoy the balance of, of it's okay to be thinking about the fucking business but I'll give you a chance to, to, to come at me with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you to an extent. There's no such thing. It, like, I'm going to agree with you. There's no such thing as this perfect balance where you can come home after work and grinding and just be in this great, you know, mood and um, be with the family and not have, you know, ideas about business. It's really hard. What I focus on is how do we massively reduce stress and incorporate habits and routines daily that energize you, that build your confidence, that increase awareness and focus, that help you to be healthier mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Because when we're at our best, we can manage all this stuff so much easier. But if we're depleting ourselves and we're drained and we're not taking care of ourselves, then that stress is going to be overwhelming. Then, you know, an argument with the wife is just going to be like, you know, happening more frequently or the kids being so hectic and 
loud is going to get to you or, you know, you're not going to perform the way you want in your business. And it's a, a downward spiral. So that's where my focus is that like, hey, we got to prioritize your health and you every day, no matter what. When you do that, you're going to feel better. You're going to look better. You're going to bring that energy to the workspace and to your family. And you're going to see a massive impact on your lifestyle. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And respect the hell out of you for that. Because I don't know, I just, all of these, and I'm going to use a blanket term, all these life coaches out there are like, you know, you've got to find this work-life balance and, and you know, you've got to separate time with your family from your business and everything else. I think they're inflicting more damage on business owners than they are. Because truly the only person who wants work-life balance is somebody who fucking hates what they do. Because you, and it usually comes like when I was a sales guy, right? I sold all night long and I just couldn't wait for five o'clock. So I'd get away from doing this job, even though I thought that I didn't hate the job. I didn't realize how much I hated the fucking job. So, you know, I I was excited to get away from it. So I'm like, I got work-life balance because I can go home and I can turn off and not think about the job at all. Just the opposite is that true when you actually enjoy it. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I was joking with my wife. I was like, thank God for you and our children because I would never stop working. I'd work yeah, right. every day. <laughs> I, I love what I get to do. So I would like, you know, I'm up at 3.30 every day. I wouldn't stop until nine o'clock at night every day. And that's right. the truth. So um, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, no, it's fun. So you're working with predominantly men in a very unique time because in on one hand, if you're following general society, men are no longer allowed to be men, um, you know, and, and so you've got to be in a unique spot of trying to balance how do you maintain some sense of masculinity without offending um, and, 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 you know, still have your ego in play because I think anybody who runs a business has got to have a little bit of ego to them. And trust me, if any of us of us guys or gals are getting on stages, we got a fucking ego because nobody without an ego wants to get on stage, period. Um, you know, so so it's got to be tough somewhat trying to help balance in this moment of time we're in helping a lot of these guys, you know, deal with how they're showing up in the world. You know, you find it tough or, or is it is it am I overthinking it? Well, you know, yeah, society is changing a lot and I understand that, but I think it's about, well, what do they want? Like in their heart, who's the person they want to identify with and how do they see themselves? That's what, that's, what's most important. Um, and now is a better time than ever. People are dealing with a lot of shit. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stuff that they were trying to ignore that wasn't as severe before, but now I'm having guys reach out to me like, man, this last year has been tough. I've been working from home me and my wife are arguing more than ever. I'm trying to figure out like how I can, you know, show up every day for her and the kids and run the business. And so now more than ever, they have to be at their best, Yeah. you know? And that goes back to what you asked me earlier. Can people change without going through a situation like I went through? Well, yeah, but there is stress and pain that is required. That's a really motivating factor for change. And I'm seeing that right now. And that's why this last year from a business standpoint, as a coach, has been the best year I've had because more people are willing to like admit to themselves, Hey, I'm not happy with the way I'm living. I'm not happy with the results I'm getting in my life. I need to do something about this. What, what do I do now? What do I do? Where do I go from yeah. here? Yeah. And I love that. I, I, I think you're right. That, that everybody's got to get to some moment of time where they're finally ready to do something about it because you know, I mean, I grew up with all the self-help books and, you know, going to all the seminars and everything. And what's fascinating is it didn't make sense, even though I thought I understood it until I ran a business and hit my own rock bottom. You know, then all that stuff you read in the books and, and you heard on the tapes and everything else, you're like, oh, that's what they fucking meant, you know, um, and it comes to fruition. And, and I think that for a lot of people, they've got to hit a tough punch because we live in the greatest country in the world where, where we really don't have it tough. If you don't believe me, go to a third world country, you know, and you're going to see a whole different thing. I mean, and, and I, I think there's a sense of complacency that happens because, you know, for me, I hit 40 years old 
and found myself in a position where I was buying out a multi-million dollar organization. And, you know, that was going to be my life. And luckily my then business partner looked at me and said, you know, thank God you're my retirement plan. And that was a moment of wake up call for me that I was literally somebody else's retirement plan. And, and up until that point, there was no desire to be a business owner. There was no desire to be an entrepreneur or whatever the hell you want to call it nowadays. You know, it, it was just a moment of time. Um, but it took that to make me want to make a leap. And then it took me almost failing completely to start really getting after it and working on, on who I was as a person, which then helped me figure out how to build a business. So, so awesome stuff. So tell them the name of your book. Yeah. So the name of the book is prison of your own, which is bad. So I found it on Amazon and like you do guys, I was just scrolling through it. He looks a lot prettier on the cover of this book than he does in person. Just so you know, he had a good photographer, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, uh, a cool title, great book, well-written. So he must've had somebody else write it for him, but uh, (laughs) Uh, but seriously, seriously, a great book. So they, uh, anywhere else I can find it besides Amazon? Or is that just the only place it is right now? Uh, it's on various other sites, you know, um, but Amazon's the easiest one to, you know, you could Google it and I'm sure other ones will pop up, but that's the easiest one. Nice. And then if they want to reach out to you to find more, get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, they can reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, Shawn Michael Crane. I have a website, shawnmichaelcrane.com. So pretty easy to reach out and just shoot me a message. Nice. Well, dude, this has been a hell of a conversation. I've enjoyed the shit out of it. Um, Here's how I like to wrap up every episode. And I do stump some people. So get ready for this. So if you were going to listen to the champions from around the world, if you were going to give them a quote, a phrase, a saying, a mantra, something they can take with them on their journey, um, especially when they're stacked up against it. What's that quote or phrase you would say? Remember this. Okay, so I got two. You want me to hit you with two or one? Okay. These were post-it notes on my prison wall every day. I looked at it as a reminder of how precious that moment and that day is, because that's all we have. How bad do you want it? And who are you? And who are you becoming? I live my life by those things. And I ask myself that every day, and it guides me into the decisions to make to continue moving forward. Freaking brilliant, dude. I love that. You need to get those put on t-shirts and shit. So. I'm uh, sure someone's already done it, but I'm going to, I'm going to take them anyways. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome, brother. I appreciate you coming on here. Freaking awesome conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Been wanting to change things up a little bit on how we talk about our sponsors and the people who help make this show great. So this is going to be a little bit different style of commercial. Family Fund has been supporting families of first responders for a number of years. And it all started as a idea of Stacy and Michael McGovern, who are the founders of Blue Family Fund. And it's a really unique story, but instead of me telling you, hear it in Stacy's words of why they started Blue Family Fund. Because I wanted to give back, I wanted to do more. You know, we had been so successful in our for-profit business that um, we looked at each other and we said, you know, how can we, how can we pay this forward? My husband and I, how, you know, how can we pay it back, pay it forward? My grandfather, when I was growing up, always used to tell me, you know, in life, you get what you give. And um, I'm a big believer in that. You know, what you put out there, you can sometimes get back threefold. So we really just wanted to do more. We were already helping police officers, you know, with off-duty work. So how could we help the families? You know, as a family of a police officer, I understand that it's just as hard on the family as it is the actual officer. How could we do more for them um, by providing maybe scholarships for their dependents or financial aid for dependents that want to uh, pursue higher education? Stacy is one of the most humble people I know. Um, their company, Point Blank Safety Services, has employed 200 off-duty police officers for, for several years and success on protecting the freeways, the highways, and everything else has done just 
amazing things, not only for the state of Texas, but for the lives of the family officers that need additional income as they protect our lives. So for the fact that her and Michael would set up this fund to help the families in times of need, it's, it's really a, a, a beautiful thing. Blue Family Fund is focused on first responders and their families. And recently, Stacy and Michael were able to give a small check to a the family of a fallen police officer. He was a, a husband and a dad, and very touching uh, moment as I watched the video and presentation of the check. And you know, I, I wanted to hear from Stacy what it meant to her to be able to do that for that family. It's amazing. Um, the feel, I can't, I can't even describe the feeling. And then, you know, when, you know, I don't feel like it's that much money, but then when you hand it to them and they, they um, break down crying because it's just enough to maybe get them over the next hurdle or obstacle that they've got going on. Um, it's, it's really a great feeling just to be able to, to do that. And the, the family you're talking about, both daughters are actually also firefighters. So they're both first responders as well. Um, so just a total first responder family. And um, just to be able to give back to them and, and let them know that there are people that that are going to remember their dad and their husband and there are people that care. It's it's a really great feeling. One of the things that I think is magical behind the Family Fund is because of the success of Point Blank Safety Services, Stacy and Michael have set up Blue Family Fund to where 100% of the donations go back to the families of first responders. How we're different than maybe some other charities, how we pay all the bills for the, the nonprofit ourselves. So every single dollar donated can actually go directly to a family. So literally 100% of all donations are um, handed forward, you know, to, to either a scholarship or to a, a financial aid for a family that has lost a first responder. Blue Family Fund has been my charity of choice for a number of years now, and it's truly an amazing organization. So if you're a fan of the show and you like the content we put out there, do me a favor. Head over to bluefamilyfund.org and send a little financial love their way. Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to, to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow. So if you haven't checked out a chapter and you're looking for a mastermind group of pure, absolute badasses that understand that giving introductions are way more powerful than referrals, go to successchampionnetworking.com and request a visit. And thanks for being you. Thanks for being a champion of your success, because that's what it means to be a success champion.